This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. <clears throat> Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I am your host, Erica Lance, my co-host today with actual alcohol is Valerie Willis, so we'll see how that all ends up for us. And our guest today is the amazing Claire E. Jones. Woo! I can do applause now, Erica. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see anything you're doing. Neither can anyone else on the YouTube channel. So stop being a weirdo. No, it should be. I don't know if it's going to be recorded there or not. You'll have to let me know. okay okay now we're moving on this is why we can't have nice things so in some of um our drinking with authors swag i actually decided because it's mid-afternoon to do a gin and san pellegrino that's how you say that val just for the record (laughs) um and this is called a momenti i it's pomegranate and black currant um it's low in calories with real fruit juice, which seems like an oxymoron to be able to do that, but whatever. Um, so anyway, but it's a gin and it's mainly gin. It, that sort of is flavoring my gin. That's that's how we're doing that. Anyway, Val, what are, what are you drinking? I had the husband pop the cork because I'm terrified. Uh, it's Lamarca Prosecco, I don't know, a sparkling wine product of Italy. Okay, and- just... For the record, Prosecco, and that is champagne. You know that, right? Is it? I don't know. It says sparkling wine. I'm just reading. That's because it the grapes says... have to be from the Champagne region of France oh, to be geez. called champagne. I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. Okay. It's you, not you from can... Champagne region. It's from the Controllata or whatever. Okay, stop helping. It... Stop. Yeah. No, <laughs> just put it in your cup. Let's move on. I put it. Okay. Okay, we can't continue with you trying to read these labels. My cup that says, well, you gave it your best shot. <laughs> that's about right. That sums it up. Okay, Claire, what, Claire, what are you, what you doing, doing on your side there? Oh, I'm on the same theme. I've got pomegranate juice right here, but I've also got my trusty little vape because I'm more of a stoner than a drinker. <laughs> got it, got it. Had gummies on a few episodes myself. That's a totally different kind of episode enjoy that thoroughly okay so claire for anybody out there that may not know what do you write i write queer fantasy romance but i also produce uh astrology planners and journals and stuff like that that is super exciting when did you start writing i mean i've been writing honestly since fifth grade like it's been a lifelong thing but i've made it professional well (laughs) that's also a question i was been doing business writing for like the last nine-ish years but I started writing fiction last year. Oh, only last year. Mm-hmm. What made you, was it, was it, was this a pandemic kind of thing or what made you finally decide to take the leap? Well, um, I kind of found a, or I guess refound my passion for books in general. At the end of 2021, I realized that I had been filling my reading list with all serious nonfiction stuff like marketing and psychology and business and all of that. And I was like, you know, this isn't actually really fulfilling me at the end of the day. And so I gave myself permission to read whatever the fuck I wanted. 
And so I went from reading 20 books in, I think 2021, I read 20. And then last year I read 112. Wow. wow. I also discovered the community of book talk during this process. And I was just instantly inspired by everything that I was seeing on there. And I had been writing for a long time, but I'd never tried my hand at fiction. And I was like, you know, I've read so many bad books over the years, like books that somehow make it to library shelves and bookstore shelves that like have fan bases. (laughs) And I was like, I can at least do better than some of the bad books that I've read over the years. So I just started writing and I'm a huge D&D fan. And so I had a Dungeons and Dragons world that I wanted to DM already in my head pre-built. So that was the world that I used as inspiration for the novels. That is exciting. So how many novels have you written so far since you just started a year ago? Well, I've written one and I'm about three quarters of the way through the second. That is amazing. That is awesome. Awesome. Because there are those of us that took, I don't know, eight years to finish their first novel. I don't know who that is, but it's somebody on this podcast and it's me. Um, So (laughs) that is really, really cool. That journey. So did you, you, you do writing. What did you, did you go to school for creative writing or journalism or English or something even remotely close engineering? I don't know. I'm just going to. Yeah. Um, I've literally been a creative since birth. Uh, my mom was an art teacher for 25 years. Oh, wow. And so I was literally like the moment I could be holding a pencil as a baby, she had me holding a pencil and creating stuff. Like there's great pictures of me as a baby with like pen all over me. I just like drew all over my body, um, which, you know, creatives, they do what they do. And so, (laughs) and I went to college for art history, actually. I kind of tried to choose the practical art business route side of the equation. But then I graduated into the Great Recession and you know the art industry was not doing well at all. So I went into business and went into business writing. So that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> wow, no, that, that totally makes sense. So let's talk for, before we continue on your fiction track, right? Let's talk a little bit about the other things that you published. You said journals, and so let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, journals and planners. Um, so I've been doing business consulting for a long time, and I'm a bit of an efficiency nerd, organization nerd. Like, give me a color-coded spreadsheet, and I'm good. And everyone has always loved that about me. Like, everyone in my business network comes to me for organizational tips and time management tips and all kinds of stuff because I, I'm run by my Google Calendar, and it's all color-coded and very pretty. And... So I decided to just translate that into planner format for people. And I'm a huge astrology nerd. And so I created a moon phase planner so that people can track what the moon phases are, what the retrogrades are, um, stuff like that with a planner format. But then I'm also creating a self-published author planner at the moment to like walk you through what it takes to publish. Wow. Wow. I need the retrograde one because man, some days I'm like, what the hell is even happening out in the universe? That's exactly. Yeah. I I, I, seriously, I'm like, okay, something's in retrograde somewhere because the world is falling to shit. Yeah, exactly. That is, that is really, really awesome and fun. So when did you put those out? Uh, The novel released on Halloween of last year and the planner... 
I think it was a couple weeks later. I think mid November was when it came out. Oh, good timing. Wow. Yeah, I, I, it was a rush to get it before the holiday season. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. All right, I'm just doing this planner 24 seven until it's made. <laughs> so what made you decide to self-publish? I know, I understand probably, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna guess why, but what, why did you self-publish? What was your personal reason? Yeah, so as part of my network, I have a bunch of book coaches and author coaches that I'm friends with. And so I basically hit them up when I was thinking about it. And I was like, all right, trad pub, self pub, give me the rundown. And they basically explained that with traditional publishing, the time frames are much, much longer. And you basically get paid based on the size of your audience. And so I was like, all right, well, since I'm a quick producer anyway, like I can write, I can produce really quickly. I, and I was still building my audience on that. And I decided to self-publish at least the first two novels while I build everything up and then start courting publishers and agents and stuff like that. No, that's, uh, that's an interesting, most people don't talk about doing it to go that way that are on the, you know, that come on the show and stuff like that. Because I think it's interesting to look at like that. And um, again, there are, there are huge pluses with having a publisher, whether it's a big one, having an agent that has whole other things to it that can be good, bad, and ugly. Because anything, you, there are amazing agents out there and we interact with some of them because some agents throw their peeps on our show and stuff like that. But it is kind of amazing that it can make more, more time, more time go in or yeah. less time, more time, less time, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Impatience no. is really my Achilles heel in all things. And so I was like, I'm just going to go on my own timeline and then I'll end up where I end up. <laughs> no, and, that, and that's that? a great way. Um, also, you get kind of a, a more personal idea of what it takes to do the different stages, too. And I think having that much insight as an author, but it's interesting because the industry has shifted so drastically. Like 15 years ago, they would have they would have said going self-pub would kill your chances for the traditional. That yeah. was the advice I was getting from author coaching back in, the, in, in those heydays. But now it's the other way around. Now it says, hey, if you can prove this concept can sell and show me some numbers and a following, they said, we'll take you the rest of the way. Um, but I also fear that it's also, you have to be careful because there's a lot of predators out there mm -hmm. and they're, they're going to try to, to ride on your coattail. So it, it becomes, the landscape's always been hit and miss. So, but that's, I, it's interesting to hear what your coaching advice compared to back, back when I was first starting and decided yeah. to self-publish still, despite that risk. So, yeah. I mean, I, I heard a lot of the same advice that you heard because I, I tried to write a nonfiction book back in 2012, 2013. And I was introduced to some agents at that time and spoke to people in that trad pub industry. And I actually got a pretty bad taste in my mouth from those interactions. Like they really didn't take me seriously. And they ended up getting mad at me for like not continuing through with the but they didn't even really, it, it was just mixed messages all around. And so I was very glad to see that this time around that the industry had changed for sure. Well, I think it's also interesting because I'd be curious if after book two is out and you decide to go a route on 
traditional, what that journey ends up being like for you, because I don't think any of the things that you would are you're describing put you off about going the other route are going to change at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, because if you can do like I think I I say this sometimes self-publishing is absolutely the best route for an author, especially depending on the kind of control, the kind of speed, the kind all these things that they want to have. I think self-publishing could be an absolute perfect route for some people. It's more like personality type and where you are and what your goals are and what you want to do with the writing and things like that. It can be great as long as you continue to educate yourself about how to actually get your book out there and how to find your audience. Because regardless, a publisher is not going to find your audience for you, even if they on book three go, oh my gosh, look what Claire did. She's got this huge following. Look at all this stuff. This is great. We want your book. And the publisher can say that, but they're saying that because you already did all the work that they weren't going to do anyway. And they're not going to necessarily add to that work. So I think it will be interesting if you um, get approached or do decide to go stick your toe in that other water to go, do I want to do this? Do I want to give up my money to these people? And, you know, one of my favorite terms in the entire world is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's all about pros and cons. And whenever, if ever I do look at publisher and agent contracts, that's exactly what I'm going to be looking at is just the pros and cons for each. Like, am I getting more by going with this contract than I would just continuing the way that I am? Because I am, you know, I'm approaching this from a business perspective too, which is also a unique approach in authorship and writing because we're creative heart. (laughs) Right, right. And that's where a lot of authors have a hard time, especially when they self-publish or decide to be a a more public figure, Mm -hmm. is you do have to think of it as a business. And so, and it's, it's nice to hear someone who, who, I mean, you published a book in October, and then you immediately pressed yourself and pushed yourself to limit the publish another one in November, and you've already got the other one getting close to to going. So you've, it, it makes a world of difference of how you see your deadlines and and how hard you can push yourself when you alienate the creative aspect a little bit to look at the rest of the process as a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is like a single piece of advice you would give a creative mind on how to flip that switch? I mean, you have to think of your work as a product, not as a baby. Like that's what I see most with creatives. Like, and this is, true across all businesses. Like you might make the most scientifically proven product. You might make the cheapest product. You might make the fastest product. You might make the sexiest product, but you being in love with your product isn't going to sell it. You have to have other people in love with your product in order to sell it. And so- Oh my God, we need to quote (laughs) this. We need to put this as a meme. This needs to be, like, if you haven't done it yet, Claire, make a meme right now and say, uh, you know, that you don't, you you know, yes, of course you love your product, but you now you have to convince other people to love your product, you know, as much as you do, or at least an ounce of what you do. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that you, you said this is so true is that it, it is a product. It yeah. is it's a product. So 
you know, if you want to do art for the sake of doing art, and if that is your goal, you want to write stories, and you don't care how many of those stories sell, you just want to put them out there and you want a book so you can have a book in your hand and go, I have this book and I'm cool. Oh my God, that's very different than I would like people to actually purchase my book because they would like to buy it and want, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. Then it's a product and you got to go, good. What is the market for my product? How do I find that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I've actually seen this going around book talk lately is like people will build or write books, build plots around what people want on TikTok. Right. And I think that's brilliant. Like I personally can never do that because I. But can't you have to be that. fast. You have, you have to be super fast because so what they want fast. today is not what they're going to want in a month. Yeah. 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 No, I, it's like, it, it's basically ahead. market research at its finest. Because it, it, it is, and it, it's a different. Um, it's different audiences. So totally. um, I think that is it's, it's, you know, we have the talk and everything. I call it the talk, um, you know, the talk. Uh, and it, you know, it, that's reaching people in a whole different way, but mm-hmm. you also can't be like, hi, buy my book. Like it doesn't work. Like that's not how you do that audience. Yeah. Um, I saw, I do, go ahead. I, I saw an excellent TikTok. I think it was yesterday or the day before about what goes viral and what doesn't on TikTok when you are trying to sell something and convince someone of something that's not going to go viral. It's when it's something that's accidentally showcased that goes viral because they, audiences want to feel like they're being sneaky by wanting it. They wanna subvert the system. They're like, you can't tell me what to do. So I'm gonna want something that you don't tell me to want. And it's that I think counter messaging that we kind of need to work as an art (laughs) like it's it's a piece of art to do so (laughs) yeah no I like people who are like who just who focus more of what the story they're telling instead of Mm -hmm. the actual selling of the book right Mm -hmm. so like one of our um a friend of mine who's been a social media influencer as long as I've known her her I'm in love with Mothman has blown up and yeah. she's been big on TikTok and she, she sends me links every once in a while. And she's like, look, someone else is talking about it. And it all started because she's like, would you kiss Mothman? They, throwing that question in there and taking the focus off of I'm trying to sell you a book and instead let's answer a question, which comes back to what makes good storytelling. Um, and that carries on, I think, a lot in TikTok. Yeah, yeah no, and I, you, you have to have a gimmick the talk you got to have a gimmick you have to have something that'll draw them in that is also fun because i think um outside of people who want to troll and just be critical and shitty because those people exist in this world unfortunately i think people use it to escape they use it to have fun and have something different than whatever drama they're going through in their life it's funny to watch it and can you grab somebody and make it fun for them to be a part of your video, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's weird. Okay. Um, we need to talk about your, your, so your D&D. So how long have you played D&D? Oh man. Um, I mean, it hasn't been long. I, I think I started in 2016. So what's that? Nine years, seven years now. 
I don't know. I don't do the math. So yeah, I was like, I don't know what year. Don't do the math. I don't do the math ever. The math. Like, what year is it? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, no, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in not doing the math. So, um, no. but what got you into Dungeons and Dragons as a as a nerd who did it when you had to color in the dice? Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. like OG nerd on yeah, Dungeons yeah, yeah. and Dragons. Yeah. Um, what made you get into it? Because that's um, not necessarily, you know. And so, how did you stumble? I'm going to stop talking. How did you stumble? <laughs> during, yeah. Well, I've always, I've always known about D and D. Like it, it's always been in my periphery, but I've never had any firsthand connections who were into it. So I just never got dragged down into it. But I've been a fantasy fan literally since you know third grade. Like, OG fantasy fan. And so I actually started dating a boy back in 2016 who was a dungeon master. And he was like, all right, <laughs> we need to make this a thing. And then I fell in love with the show Critical Role. I don't know if you guys have. Oh, I love oh, yeah. Critical Role. Season three has been a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm literally obsessed with that show. I have a, a podcast about it, actually. <laughs> but oh, wow. um, yeah, so I was basically introduced in 2016 to both as a player of D&D and a watcher of D&D. And then I graduated to DMing my own campaign last year. I think it's been a year since I've been DMing my own. That's very, very cool. So mm -hmm. somebody got me a Critical Role t-shirt and they've had a big D20 on it. And, then, you know, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then I was like, people are like, oh yeah, Critical Role. And then I was like, this this means something that I'm not <laughs> aware of that it means. Yeah. And yeah. so then after wearing it to a nerd con, I had to go look it up because I'm like, the way they're reacting is not like, oh, cool. She's wearing a shirt with a D20 on it. They're reacting no. as if this name means something. And I yeah. felt, yeah. I felt a minutely dumb at that particular <laughs> moment because I was like, what? Well, oh, oh, this is the thing. This is a whole entire thing that's going it's on. It's like that whole classic thing when someone wears a band shirt and you're like, do you even know their songs? <laughs> do you even know erica do you know no i pulled it off really well it's kind of like when i when i go to dragon con and my friends want to do doctor who shirts there's nothing against doctor who i just never watched the show so they always want to dress up like doctor who and they told me about it and they're like well we could do this thing for the silence and i'm like what the fuck is that like so in a five minute part of an episode which are these creatures that you can only see when you're looking at them, I guess, and you forget about them when they're gone, but they put tick marks on themselves when they see them. So they remember that, you know, to remind them that these things are in this anyway, they're pretty terrifying. So I wear a Doctor Who shirt and put all these tick marks and people are like, oh, the silence. And I'm like, where? Tick mark. And I, I pull off that I have no fucking idea. Okay, just for the record. Because <laughs> I, uh, I asked her, because I was on a panel or at a table, she comes up. I'm like, "What are you? What are you? Why are you guys?" Because I don't watch Doctor Who either. And she goes, "I don't know." I don't know. I don't know. They know. I don't care. I know. They're probably that's a skill set. That's a skill <laughs> set to be able to like bullshit your way through those situations. Fandoms. Yes, Erica is the yeah, queen. No. <laughs> I think you have to, and as an author, I talk about it. I think you have to because people bring up shit in your books. That you don't remember writing like and so you have to be able to be like oh yeah no that's my favorite did i fucking write that like 
Yeah. I don't know when somebody was in my book. Every That's single right. time somebody does that, I go, oh, wait, that was in the book. Control yeah. find later. That was I in the book. Like that's a process of like pitching yourself too. Like if you are a creative, if you are a writer, if you are a business person, like you have to be able to spin doctor yourself. <laughs> oh, that's so true. So true. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to go into your fantasy world. Hey listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo! Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back. So let's talk about... champagne have you had right now <laughs> i mean champagne goes to your hat really quickly though to be fair look at her, what color she is she matches her shirt right now <laughs> and she did that all to herself like nobody even was talking to her about stuff <laughs> this is, why I can't this is another watch the youtube version if you're listening to this podcast because val is a shit show so okay moving on um Claire, let's talk about your wonderful world. So tell us about your D&D world. Yeah, so it's a planet where there are eight classes of magic. And so the magic is actually inherited through bloodlines. And they came from ancient queens and kings that ruled within those bloodlines because they were blessed by the gods and goddesses in the pantheon at some point in the history of the world. And the bloodlines were eventually forced into hiding for various reasons. And so the story takes place about 800 years in the future where they're trying to reinvigorate these bloodlines and regain their footing in the world. So my first book starts on the islands of Tuzi and it is where the water goddess temple is and they need to save the temple in order to create this catalyst for regaining their power as a whole. So it'll be an eight book series and each book will focus on one of the characters from one of the bloodlines. Oh, that's very, very cool. Look, that's, look how creative that is. Until our fans go completely nuts and it's gonna have to end up with book 27. And <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've already been thinking about potential spin-off series. Like what if I do a series where it's focused on the gods and goddesses and they're like immortal cities and I can do like a Downton Abbey kind of thing where like we follow the gods and goddesses at the top but then we also follow like the event planners and the caterers and the workers of the palaces. <laughs> I've got that's great. Be prepared to do novellas off of these books though 
because people are going to fall in love with these side characters that you include on that and they're going to be like why aren't they in book two I, that's already happening with my readers like a bunch of my beta readers will be like okay the side character though like we, we're in love with her <laughs> and i'm like which, okay which is hysterical isn't it because sometimes you write these characters and i just love it's one of my favorite parts of writing we talk about it a lot on the show but we write these side characters or plot influencers or whatever and everybody's like oh my god i love them so much what's their story and you're like they don't fucking have a story like that was their story that <laughs> i mean that to be fair were... to be fair i'm also in love with that side character so that might have came <laughs> it, it might be part of the reason why they were so well fleshed out because i made <laughs> a story off to the side just for fun yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. no and i tell people all the time like if you have a character that you need to introduce, but it's you're not actively telling their story, it's totally okay to write a short story and then use that as an incentive on your your newsletter or a special edition thing. Maybe even add it to the back of the next novel, or you know, as a special edition thing. Uh, or again, like Erica pointed out, a little novella or a little side piece that they can go and explore and have fun with. Uh, the fans, I think. And that's a sort of a shift in the industry as of recently is that it's encouraged now. The more offshoots totally. and the bigger the world and the, the sandbox, the more likely we can cherry pick what we like. With the Mandalorian hit, like people didn't realize there was this whole sub subsection and story that they resonated better with than any of the other previous Star Wars content. Mm -hmm. uh, like my husband loves the Mandalorian, but he hates the rest of it. Same here. You know, so it's 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 kind of gives us a chance to kind of appeal to different types of audiences and readerships and fill in the gaps mm -hmm. of the world and, and know that how big and how much they interact sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm also using it as a setting for a D&D &D campaign, too, because that's also giving me a chance to flesh out areas that I necessarily wouldn't be able to flesh out in the novels themselves. And so like all of that feeds into each other too. So I'm kind of like hitting two birds with one stone when I'm planning for D&D &D sessions or when I'm writing because they feed each other. And so I'm not having competing stories, competing worlds in my head taking up space. Like I don't know how authors do it when they jump between writing series that are like vastly different than one another because it's, I feel like it takes up 50% of my brain. <laughs> I only have 50% to give to, you know, cleaning my house. <laughs> I, I give that test to my husband to make room for the other world. That's what happens. <laughs> I think it also depends on, and this was going to be my question to you, because you've created these eight schools of magic and not that uh, authors don't think in advance. I don't, for the record, and I've said this on this show before, have any interest in writing high fantasy. It's way too much fucking work as far as I'm concerned. I love Dungeons Dragons. I love reading high fantasy, but actually writing it, no effing way in hell. Like zero interest. There's way too much tracking. There's way too much world building. I've been very upfront about this with yeah. anyone who asked me this question. Yeah. But my question for you is how far down the rabbit hole have you actually mapped this out to be able to um have these uh uh 
to this this world? Like, have you mapped out all eight books and what's going to happen in them? More or less. So, like, of course, the details of what's going to happen, I I don't have down. I I pretty much do like a couple books at a time in terms of thinking about the minute details of the plot points that each book is going to take. But I know okay. who each book is going to focus on. I know what their general journey is going to be like, like what's the starting point, what's the end point. And I know like vaguely what tropes I want to play around with in those books. And so like okay. I have a list of notes where I just continually add to it when the thoughts download throughout my life I just add to this list slowly wow how, how often so everyone's so touchy about tropes sometimes and I don't mm -hmm. get it because I mean everything we watch everything we consume everything's a trope everyone has a trope whether they like the idea that they have one or not that's mm -hmm. not their problem it you have a type like my husband's always he sees me watching a new show on Netflix. He goes, let me guess. Uh, girl finds out she has magical powers and now all the men want her. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want that one? To be honest. Uh, and now she goes to the magical school. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she finds her magical crew. Her magical <laughs> I'm like, I have to change this. <laughs> they show up for her in a big battle showdown. Yeah. And like yeah. everyone has yeah. the feel. And she's yeah. the most powerful one of them all, no yeah. matter what. <laughs> like, thanks honey now I know my tropes uh, but how how well do you, does identifying the tropes you want to aim for help you in your writing process as a whole that's an interesting question um the first answer that comes to mind actually is that it helps me choose my music for the book because I do create playlists for writing too and I have certain songs that are associated with certain characters and so if I need to sink into that character's point of view, I will just play that song on repeat until I can basically see from their eyeballs. And picking out the tropes ahead of time helps me identify that flavor of character that I'm going for. But it also helps me identify how I want to slightly subvert the tropes too, because I don't go a really exactly according to plan with most tropes. Like for example, in the first book, I have what you might consider a classic love triangle, but the tension of the plot doesn't revolve around the jealousy of the triangle. So that's kind of like a different view of it than we traditionally see. And so that helps me create a unique flavor to my writing so that it's not just like, wrote fantasy yeah. tropes and, and i i taught i was invited for a workshop to talk about tropes and one of the one of the pieces and and i'd love your opinion and how how you feel about this is someone's like well why would i use tropes for mm -hmm. writing and i said one it helps you develop at least your subplots mm -hmm. that can feed into your main plot and two totally. you know where to break it yeah and yeah. if you know those two things, you can make a unique story that yeah. will suck in readers much faster. Because um, I think reader immersion is a big beast we battle as authors. And I think tropes is sort of secret sauce for, for helping making that process easier. Yeah, and specifically unique view, views of tropes. Because you want your readers to be like, wait, what just happened? 
wait, what just happened? Wait, what just happened? And so then they're like progressing through the story as you tell it. But if you give them the same thing that happens all the time and all these other pieces of media, they're going to be like, yeah, 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 I get it. And just like skim it and not like it's eating like a vanilla wafer. Yeah. But it also encouraged them that you can totally stick true to the trope because look at Hallmark. Look at Hallmark and how much I know. And even though I am not a fan of Hallmark, I can't tell you how many times my husband and I during November, December have found ourselves watching Hallmark movie and don't know how we ended up there. <laughs> like, what happened? Yeah, I mean, I respect <laughs> Hallmark. I respect the people that can do just vanilla tropes time and time and time again. But I've been a nonconformist for most of my life and my soul would die if I just stuck to the- I, I have rebellious characters. They talk back. Yeah, yeah, right? Some of these characters, like they say shit. And I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> Why are you so angry? <laughs> Why are you, you being arty? Like, I'm like, what's the sass coming from? <laughs> Who's been your most rebellious character then? Um, rebellious? I, I mean, the one that's been surprising me the most is actually a side character in the second book that I'm writing right now. Because um, I don't really flesh the side characters out ahead of time because it's not worth planning for them. Like, I vaguely know what role they're going to play in the plot, but I don't really... I let their personalities just kind of take shape on their own. And this character just keeps, keeps like, he is sassy. He is. Is that going down without a fight, Claire? <laughs> he's irreverent. Like he says stuff. I'm like, you're just raising shit. Like you're just causing problems. Like stop it. <laughs> wow. But he's got to do what he's got to do. That's that's, that's like when I tap into his point of view, that's just how. And so he's actually going to have a more of a major feature in the third book. And so I'm interested to see how he evolves over time because he might have a heart underneath all that sass. He might. He might. You just have to follow him a little longer and find out for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he's only got a cameo in the second book, so like we don't really get to see much of him. In the third book, we'll see more. Well, I have a question for you. What was surprising to you? Because you had written a nonfiction, you've done a lot of writing, right? Mm-hmm. And outside of you know marketing and things like that, but actually writing the first novel, when you sat down, you're like, "That's it. I figured out the world. I'm going to write this novel. I'm going to do this thing." What surprised you though? What were you like, wow, didn't expect that? Flow state, that's what surprised me. When I lost six fucking hours and didn't know where they went. (laughs) (laughs) Like I would sit down, I would get stoned, I would sit down, start writing. And I would just become so immersed in the world that I would look up and it's like six hours later and it's dark outside and I haven't eaten. And like, where is my dog? why did they not come get me yeah <laughs> like you you should have warned me that you need food at some point <laughs> <My> children <laughs> themselves and i it's midnight <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that was the thing that surprised me the most because i thought it would just be another piece of work honestly because i've been doing business writing for so long and writing all kinds of stuff that's more serious stuff and so i thought it would just be like me sitting down and being like all right i'm writing two chapters today 
So I'm going to write two chapters and then I'm going to go make dinner, you know, but it, it wasn't like that at all. It just- No, I, and I think for different people, it means different things depending on one's time constraints and what can one do? And are you a sprint writer? Or can you just immerse yourself and do that sort of thing? So what does your world book look like that you're creating? Because that's gotta be fun. Yeah. Um, do you want me to go grab it? <laughs> I can do a little show and tell. <laughs> you can do show and tell a little bit. Yeah, I'll go grab it real fast. Oh, look at that's it. You got our guests to get up and walk away now. I know. I think your guests move a lot. <laughs> well, first off, it says fucking brilliant on the front of it. That, so. There we oh, go. Oh, that's awesome. That's why I had to do the show and tell. Um, but this is basically just like it has different sections. Like there's a book one section, a book two section, um, a section on all the gods. I have like all of these scribbled timelines of like when different things happen on that loose leaf stuff tucked in there. Yeah, yeah. And so recently I redid the world map. And so this is the new world map that I built. And that's actually pretty nice. Look at that. Yeah, well, I've I've there, there's, a couple program, there's a couple programs that I like using for world maps. Wonder draft is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, so I basically just have these little dividers for the different books and different sections, and I just write down ideas as they come. Ever thought about the idea of, of taking all that and, and organizing it into a compendium for, for your series? Yeah, I mean, I do have a glossary that I've started in the back of the books, but I'm not revealing details until they're revealed within the story. And so, like, I haven't really introduced the full pantheon yet to my readers because we've only been introduced to two gods so far. Oh, and then also maybe later down the road, since you're a D&D player, a campaign book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about that. I'm like, all right, how can I systemize this? <laughs> <laughs> There's actually exact layout on how you systemize that. You should look up, um, there's a company called StoryForge that does exactly that. They're setting themselves up. They're newer, but they're setting themselves up so that um, people can take their worlds and make it into D&D games. I, I love that. I mean, I think it needs to be more accessible for people. I mean, we've all heard about the drama going on with Wizards of the Coast and the OGL license lately. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to swing in a different direction because that um, that is not going to go through the way they think it's going to go through. It's so interesting when you get into, obviously things need to be profitable. And TSR did a horrible job of making things profitable. Um, but it's very interesting when you get people who don't actually have a passion for what the reason the company started and get them involved in doing something. It's just, yeah. oh, it's so much fun and bizarre right yeah. so what's your favorite um, class to play class to play yeah yeah i've only ever played a monk actually so i don't have a lot of experience playing other classes but i would love to play a bard at some point i have oh. a your bard for my friends like okay we want to do like a hobgoblin once and I'm like okay so it's a hobgoblin mammoth writer because I discovered bard because the mammoth writer's mammoth gets level four barding 
I want to show up like Prince Ali. Yeah. (laughs) You want to show up like what? Prince Prince Ali from Aladdin. Aladdin. Oh, my trumpeting. Prince Ali, fabulous here. Strong as 10 regular men. As you look at it, she goes, oh, my God, this is canon. I'm like, you damn straight it is. I make ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a excellent approach to playing D anD. I've got a group of newbies right now, and three of them are fairies, and one of them is a human paladin. And I especially love newbies because <laughs> they try anything. They're like, I don't know how anything works, so I'm just gonna try anything, and I love it. Right. Well, I think, you know, so what do you listen to? Because you were talking about music. What do you listen to to get in the mood for all of this? <laughs> oh, I mean, everything, honestly. I, I'm very broad when it comes to my music tastes. And so when I'm writing, I specifically go for things without lyrics. But um, sometimes, like, the character songs, like, they're usually pop songs. But writing music, I usually go with classical, like, really dramatic, heavy classical, like, Bach and Vivaldi kind of stuff. Um, the Critical Role actually has a Mighty Vibes playlist on YouTube where it's lo-fi music in the background with YouTube videos that are illustrated Critical Role scenes. And I love that playlist to write to. And I've also started to, I found some like dark academia playlists on Spotify, which are oh, wow. pretty dope. Yeah, and they have some witchy lo-fi playlists on Spotify that I love as well. Wow. Just writing this down. Yeah, I, I did so, a TikTok. Uh, how much can you write when you sit down in one of these six hour stretches? Um, on an average day, I do about 5,000 words. And that's when I'm writing for about seven hours, six hours-ish. Um, my record is doing 9,000 words in a week. Um, wow. My I, actually, I think I did twelve thousand in a weekend once, because I was doing two full days back to back. Do you what? Is, so, what is your release plan? You have eight books. What is your release plan? Yeah, um, I mean, ideally, I'd like to do two a year. So, the second one I hope to release by mid-year this year, um, and then the next one by end of year. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's expensive to produce though. So I'm trying to like get the cash flow figured out for that. And that's why I'm doing planners and journals too, because I want that income too. Cause it's like 10 times more expensive to produce novel than it is journal. So I want the journal income to support the novel costs. Do you have your, do you have a newsletter and all that? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very, very cool. So, um, are the people playing in your campaign helping drive anything that's happening in the books or not? A little bit. Um, technically, they're non-canonical. So they, because I don't want my D&D players to blow up things in my novels that I then have to rewrite everything for. So there is a little bit of overlap, but it's more like how my, the D&D players have affected the settings of the world. Like the D&D players are going to the same temples that my characters in my books are going to. And so 
if they physically alter something within that temple environment, when the, my D&D players go to it, I might add that detail to my novels to give it like just a unique detail. Like for example, in the one that I'm writing right now in the fire temple, there have these um, sconces on the walls for candles and you have to manipulate them in order to open a trap door. And so one of my D&D characters ripped one of them off of the wall because she rolled a natural 20 on her strength check. And so I included that ripped off sconce in my novel as a result, instead of having it be like awesome. an untouched sconce. I, that's pretty badass. <laughs> I would like to dedicate this ripped off sconce to the character of what I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's also great when my D&D players read my books. They're like, oh, I recognize that. Oh, or that hallway was a bitch. We all was on fire. Like, it was awful, <laughs> you know? And so there's an added level to the reader enjoyment, too. Yeah, that's very cool. Okay, so another question I have then for you is what has been, like, so you posted these. What has it been like to do reviews, that sort of thing? Like now that you're getting feedback on the book, what has that been like? Yeah, well, I specifically knew that I needed to do a beta reading process when before I published last year. And so I solicited beta readers specifically on TikTok. And I looked for creators that had a following of 6K or more because that's the amount of my social following. And so I was like, I have to at least meet them, right? And I found four or five beta readers that I then paid to beta read the manuscript before it got published. And so I had reviews ready to go when I launched. Very cool. What about unsolicited reviews? Do you, do you, do you cyber stock your reviews? Yeah, yeah, I, I always do. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten several unsolicited reviews since it's been published, but I kind of like, you know, with the tip jar, you have to get it started with a dollar. That's true. No, totally. Okay, Val, I'm going to ask one more question and then you have the final question. What? Why are you always going to put that pressure on me? If this is unfair, Erica, I'm too drunk for this shit. And there it is. Right there. <laughs> I've been talking about. So um, what uh, you've got, you're starting this. What about in-person events? Have you done any in-person events with your book yet? Not yet. No, um, I'm an introverted homebody and you kind of have to drag me to events sometimes, but I am going to a writer's conference next month. And so I will be doing much more public introductions and stuff like that. Very cool. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're high fantasy. You're going to have to go to cons. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to, I want to for sure. And I like, I need to, I hibernated a bit this winter and it's <laughs> just like not having public interactions for a while. What would be a dream conference to be like a, a pro guest or guest author at? Um, I've been really loving the vibe of books, crowns, and gowns. Have you come across Yeah, that? someone recommended that one to us recently. Yeah, like just the fact that it exists as a concept, I'm kind of in love with it. So I would love to be featured there. Um, but I mean, Emerald City Comic Con, like I'm in Seattle. So like that's, it's a huge con that happens every year. And if I could be on like a panel for that, I like, I, I make it at that point. Like that means I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. 
Well, it's a possibility. You got to put yourself in for it. You'd be surprised how quick they'll bring people on and do that sort of thing. Uh, so animal science teacher once told me if the worst result doesn't change anything, if you had not done it at all, then it's worth putting your name in the bucket. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. I will bestow you that advice. Okay. Advice from Val. Now you have a final question. I thought that was my question. What con would you do? <laughs> Just kidding. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. Okay. Claire, shameless self-promotion time. Tell us how to find your books and how to find you on social media. Yeah. So my company is called Claire Joyance, C-L-A-I-R-J-O-Y-A-N-C-E, basically Clairvoyance with a J. And so that's my handle on all the social medias. You can find me on all the social medias, but my book, Love in the Face of Death is available at Barnes & Noble. It's available at Amazon. It's available on my website. So look it up on Goodreads. It's there. Very, very cool. It has been very fun to have you on the show. I hope you've had a good time. Yeah, I have. This has been fun. <laughs> very cool. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking With Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance, my very drunk host, co-host. <laughs> Valerie Willis. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to wherever you find our podcast at. I mean- oh, And our I'm guest has been Claire. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost perfect it was i'm drinking i got a wine glass for this for this podcast that says well you get your good shot quote wine <laughs> okay we're gonna end now before val keeps talking and we will see you guys next time